morning, everybody. Uh, If you would, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. And uh, we'll finish up. We'll finish up this uh, this Sunday school series, the threefold makeup of man. Um, we've spent some time talking about um, obviously the three parts, right? The spirit, the soul, and the body. And so this morning we'll spend a little bit more time talking about the body. The last time we talked about the soul and the emotions and how to, how to deal with emotions and things like that. And uh, we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time talking about those things in the, the, the main hour um, just because of, of some things that we want to make sure that we get uh, in far as that series goes. So in Romans chapter 6, we'll just start here real quick. Romans chapter 6, we'll start here at verse 6. So Romans chapter 6. Verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Father, we thank you for the time that we have to study your word. And as we take a look at this information, may we allow your word and your authority to be the final say on all things, that um, we um, might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, um, if we take a look here, in the context, what he's dealing with is, he in Romans chapter 6, what Paul's doing is he's starting off dealing with our identification, right? We've talked about the first five chapters of the book of Romans deals with sin and the justification that we have out of that, right? And that's what he deals with the first five chapters is justification. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, we talked about this a little bit. The last few weeks or so, Romans chapter 6 tells us what? That we're dead to what? Sin. Romans chapter 7 tells us what? We're dead to the law. Romans chapter 8 says we're what? Dead to the flesh. Right? To where we don't have to be controlled by sin. We're not going to be controlled by the law. We're not going to be controlled by the flesh. That's what happens. Six, seven, eight. Our identification is what gives us the opportunity to not let those things control us. Right now, as I said, we we've talked about spirit, soul, and body. But notice here, Romans chapter six, uh, verse six. He says, "What knowing this? Well, that first word tells us what we ought to know something. There has to be something that we know, and if we don't know it, then guess what we need to do? Know it, <laughs> learn it." How do you learn it, right? Now, what's interesting is, and we, we've talked about this before, but go real quick to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and just as a reminder of, of some of the things that we've got, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about all verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, right? Which means what? You're going to get some profit out of it. How much of the scripture? All of it. But notice what he says. <clears throat> and all, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? All right. So notice that's the very first thing that he starts off with is doctrine. Next is what? Reproof. And then what? 
correction, and then finally what? Instruction. Instruction in not just anything, but what? Righteousness. So when we look at these things, the way that we see this is God is telling us that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Now, if we need to know something, what do we need to do? We need to go get the doctrine, right? If we are acting in a way that we shouldn't, what should we do? Look for reproof. If we get mixed up on some doctrine, what do we need to do is look for correction. Now, one of the things we've talked about before is God's Word, and we've got it on the back of our of our bookmarks, and if you don't have any, you can pick some up. <clears throat> what it is is Paul's epistles are laid out this way. Now, if if you notice, the very first thing that he deals with is doctrine. What's he dealing with in the book of Romans is what? Doctrine. Well, doctrine about what? Well, talking about justification. How is it that a person gets justified? Trusting in what Christ did. And he lays it out, says, here's the problem. Everybody's under sin, and I'm going to be able to have mercy upon everybody because everybody's under sin. If people aren't under sin, then guess what he can't do? Can't be, can't be merciful. <laughs> right? <clears throat> you look at that, and you're like, okay, so let, let's get that. Next thing he does is says what? Here's the need for it. Romans chapter 5 says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. Really, in Romans chapter 3, he says, I'm going to give you my righteousness because of what Christ did. Right? So there's doctrine, reproof. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. What is it that he uses to reprove bad behavior? Doctrine. Everything goes back to the doctrine. So in Romans chapter 6, when he says, knowing this, what do we need to do? We need to know it. How do we know it? We've got to go get it, right? Correction, of course, that has to do with what? Fixing bad doctrine. Well, what was the bad doctrine that the folks in Galatia had? We're going to go keep the law. Paul says, I marvel you're so soon removed from him that... How do you fix bad doctrine? Get good doctrine. All right? <clears throat> then what happens is you've got what? Ephesians. That's the doctrine of the cross. Everything that took place by the cross, what, what, what God is able to accomplish by what Christ did, he lays it out there in Romans. What he's doing for the church, the body of Christ now, he's laying out that. And what's interesting is, what is it that, that Ephesians kind of lets us know about? The mystery. And what else? There's some heavenly things that are going to be taking place that I've not talked about yet. And I, I'm going to reveal that through that mystery. And so then there's doctrine about the church, not just here, but in the ages to come. Right? So then you've got Ephesians, then you've got what? Philippians. Then you've got what? Colossians. What's the next book? First and Second Thessalonians. What's that going to give you? Doctrine of what? Catching away. That's our future is the rapture, the catching away of the church, the body of Christ. 
The reason he has to write Second Thessalonians is because somebody came along and said, you've missed the rapture. So he writes Second Thessalonians to remind them, you do still have that hope. And we talked about before, in First Thessalonians, what do they have? Faith, love, and hope. They have all three of those things working. All right, question. <clears throat> um, when we go to heaven, because the whole idea with First and Second Thessalonians is what? Rapture. After the rapture, do you need more reproof? Do you need more correction? Because you're going to have it all figured out by that time, right? Because you're going to be complete. Well, we are complete now, but we're going to be we're going to be presented to the Father as perfect. We don't need reproof or correction after that. So then, what's he deal with after First Thessalonians is what? Instruction and in righteousness, which is found in what? First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And it's interesting when you look at that. And you could do the same thing. We did this before. You could do the same thing with Hebrews through Revelation, by the way, <clears throat> which is really <clears throat> an interesting thing. But there's also something else in Peter that does the same thing for Hebrews through Revelation. But that's something that takes place. So when back over here, and notice, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? You notice there's not a period there. He says that the man of God may be what? Perfect. What's it mean to be perfect? He says right there what? Thoroughly furnished. It's complete. Completely and totally equipped. Unto what? all good works now you stop and think about this the purpose of of all of this right here is to do what all of that should go here remember we know stuff and we should take it there and then it should show up by just allowing the words to work through us it'll show up here right and what's what's it going to produce good works because we've done something no it's because the word is going to work in us go back to Romans chapter 6 with that in mind that's fine So Hebrews will be the doctrine of the cross, of what the cross did for them during the tribulation period, and then so on and so forth. And you kind of see that as you go through. But it's, it's really interesting when you look at those things because there's a, there's a reason that the Bible's laid out the way it is, right? We've talked about this before. First, Paul book, first book that Paul wrote was what? Galatians. Some, some people, Galatians or Thessalonians, one of the two. <clears throat> but either one, is that the first one in the canon of scriptures? Is there a reason why? Second, Second Timothy 3.16 is the reason why. God's put it in order for a reason. And he said, if you want to find out what the cross did for you, where do you go? You go to Romans. 
he starts off there and says, if you want to know what the rest of the scriptures, if you want to know what the other 12 epistles of mine are going to be about, what do you need to know first? Romans. Start there. And that's why we always say, what's the, what's the first place that somebody should start the moment they get saved? Give them Romans. Always. Because Romans is going to tell you who you are in Christ. And it starts off with bad news to begin with. <laughs> You're lost. You're under sin. Romans chapter 3 tells you that. But God's manifesting his righteousness now in a different way by saying, look at the cross. Right? <clears throat> and so then, if you want to find out what the cross has done for you, where do you need to go? Romans. Because that's the place you're going to find out. Now notice, what is it that this cross has done for us? Verse 6, he says, knowing this. Now stop and think about that real quick. If he says, knowing this, that means it's something that we should already what? Know. So that means something before has already told this. And it has. Right? If you back up to chapter 6, verse 1, and there's other places too, but verse, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer to that is what? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? It's a good question, right? But if we don't know that we're dead to sin, what are we going to do? We're going to live in it. Because we think, well, we just got to overcome the, overcome the body by us doing things. I can't, I can't go and do X if I'm doing Y in its place. Right? I got to keep my body busy and it doing things, going to church, keeping track record, whatever it is. We always try to convince ourselves, if, if you give me something, that's what happened to the nation of Israel. They said, give us, give us a law. We'll keep it. <clears throat> well, how did that work out? Not very well, right? But he says... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now pause there for a second. Do you know what that verse right there means about you? You are dead to sin. It's automatic. You have it. Automatically, you're dead to sin. That means that sin no longer has control over you and you choose whether or not you do it. And then it'll show up there, right? Notice... <clears throat> Know ye not, so this is something we should know, right? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Where is your walk going to take place? We manifest it in the flesh. That's the walk. That's your conversation. Where where does where does his death, his burial, his resurrection show up? Through us. Right? For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, have we been? Yes. That's a true statement. We have been planted. And and it's not if, like a, you know, if you've not or not. He's saying. If we have been planted together, that's an if of it's done. Understanding that this has already taken place. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, which we have, notice we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So what do we know about that? 
you look at that verse and we can say, I know something about my future. My future has something to do with, I shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It's a guaranteed thing. It's not a, man, I hope this happens. You look at the verse and you say, well, the verse says it, so what do I need to do? Just agree with what the verse says. Right? Now, since we've already been planted together in the likeness of his death, verse 6, knowing this. Based on the first five verses here in in Romans chapter 6, he says, knowing this, their old man is crucified, notice, with him. Now, stop and think about that real quick. If... If our old man is crucified with him, if something's crucified, what is it? It's dead. Can dead stuff do stuff? (laughs) It's rendered completely useless except for with what? The Word. The Word is the only thing that we can actually do. And that's that thing I want us to be able to think about when we're talking about this this body here. He says... that our old man is crucified with him, that, here's the purpose, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, that old man, when you start talking about that stuff, there's, there's a whole bunch of different things out there, but that old man has to do with what? Remember, go over to Ephesians real quick. Remember, we talked about that. If you want a definition of the old man, Romans chapter 4, or Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is what? Corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That's the definition of the old man. So what's happened to that old man? What's happened to the one that's corrupt according to deceitful lust? Romans chapter 6 has declared it what? Useless. It's crucified. So then, when, when, we, when we take a look at our life, that's not who we are anymore, right? And he says to do what in verse 22? Put off concerning the former conversation. Now stop and think about this. Do you have to put off the old man? What's he say? Put off, notice, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. He's not saying put the old man off. He's saying put off all the things that concerned the old man. Well, what did the old man want? Fleshly stuff. So we don't have to put off the old man. The old man's out off. What we have to do is put off the things that concerned the old man. Does that kind of make sense? Think about this. Um, do we know anybody in history that's passed away but still has some sort of influence on our country and on our world? All over the place. It's the same idea. Are we in, or can we be influenced by what the old man was concerned with? Yes. What are we told to be putting off? Those things that he's concerned with. Because the old man's already dead. It's already been considered useless. Put it off. It's done. But he's saying, and, and it's really interesting, the way, that, the way that the Holy Spirit through Paul writes this, he says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. 
there's there's things that are concerning that former conversation, the way that we walked, he's saying, put those things off. It's really interesting. Um, and be renewed in the spirit of the mind. And, and verse 24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Well, we're, that's a good definition for the new man. What is it that we need to put there? He says what? That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There's a slight difference there, right? What's he saying to put on there? Put, put on the new man. Put him on display. Don't put on the old man, the things that he was concerned with and all that stuff, but put on the, the new man. Put on those things. Put it out there. And he says, wherefore, put away lying. Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. And, of course, we talked about that before. What is the old man, according to that verse, what's the old man, according to that verse, concerned with as far as former conversation? Is the old man wanted to do what? Lie. What do we do? Put off the line. Quit doing what the old man wants to do. Quit being influenced by the old man. But we still have to carry it around all the time. And that's the problem, right? <clears throat> now, back over here in Romans chapter 6. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that, here's the purpose, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So what's that tell us? Don't let this body perform the things that the old man wanted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly. And that's that's one of the things that I'm hoping that we've been able to see. And I'm glad because that's the point. Right. And then it shows up there. Right. So if we stop lying, what's the body going to stop doing? You have to choose within your own self, based on your renewed mind, you have to use your will to choose not to do that and say, I want to speak truth to every man with my neighbor. All the time. All the time. It's, you're still influenced by the old man. You know, I, I think back, I'm 46 now. I was saved when I was 21. So that's 21 years of my life living the old man way. And I'm just now, what, 25 years later, I've finally gotten over the point where I've been saved longer than I was unsaved. And that's a good thing because you start, you know. But I was, I've trained myself for 21 years to live the way that this guy wanted to live, the flesh. It is. That's what it is. That's what it is. You can describe it in certain ways where you, not, you might not break it down like that, but it, it's almost simply a war of the mind. Right? It is. And that's, yeah. that's hold that thought, because that's where religion gets in the trouble, because the religion says the fight's here. I just got to tell the flesh, quit doing stuff, and you can't. 
Because the flesh is going to want to do what it's wanting to do. The mind has to control the flesh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is, right? It is. <laughs> it is. Um, it is almost impossible at times. <clears throat> go real quick to uh, go real quick to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter ten, because um, that that's the point, right? Now, and, and we've talked about this before, and when, when you go back, when you go back, the Tower of Babel, what did God say? Let us go down because man will be able to do whatever their thoughts or whatever they imagine to do, right? So where is your imaginations? Where is your thought process? It's here. That is you, right? We've talked about this is you. Chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, we'll start here in verse 3. <clears throat> he says, well, starting in verse 2, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, that's some folks that think that Paul and those guys were doing what? Just doing what their flesh wanted to do. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. But oftentimes, what do we normally war after? The flesh. What's religion teach you to war after? Defeat the flesh. Defeat the flesh. Defeat the flesh. Here's a list of things you can defeat the flesh with, and none of them ever work. Never. Not permanently. Verse 4. For the weapon here, and you notice there's a parenthesis here, but notice he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. All right, so if you're going to fight against the flesh, then you're dealing with what? Carnal issues. But he says, What? The reason that we war not after the flesh is for our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There's a battle. When he's talking about weapons and warfare, it's a, it's a battle that's taking place. Notice, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice, casting down imaginations. The very first thing he tells us to cast down is what? Imaginations. Where's that taking place? Right up here. Right? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And this is the best part. And bringing into captivity every thought to what? The obedience of Christ. Now you stop and you think about that. We talked about it last week and week before and we've talked about it before and, and, and things like that. How was Christ obedient? He, he lived his life based on the word. We looked at it before. He, he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Philippians 2 says, right? What was he doing? He lived his life in complete and total dependence on God's word. And so then what's he saying here is what? Bring, every, bring into captivity 
every thought to the what? To the obedience of Christ. It's not just look at the obedience of Christ and think about what he's done, but bringing the thought into captivity to what? The word. That's how Christ was obedient, was to the word. So how should we, how should we, what should we do with every thought? Every thought pops up, what should we do? There's a verse, I'm good. Here's a, here's a thought, it's not a verse, what should I do? Get rid of it. We see that? And like I said before, it's real easy to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so then you, you, you think about those things, and, and that's why the renewing day by day is so important. It's every step of every single day taking each thought. Is this thought scripture? No. Get rid of it. Don't allow it to move forward. And notice, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? What would be the answer to that? No. Shouldn't. We do. We do. We do. But, but the answer should be what? We shouldn't. If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself notice, think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for, the, not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. And he goes on down through there. But here's the issue. What's he bringing up? He's bringing up this issue of your thinking. And in Romans chapter 12, what's he do? Renew your mind day by day. Thinking, change the way that you think constantly. And, and the idea there is to what? Take imaginations, cast them down. Whatever you're thinking about creates an image. If I say leaf, what pops in your head? Either your son or, a, or, or the green, I know, or, or the green thing on a tree, right? Yeah, yeah, the Nissan leaf. Um, you know, but what happened is, is it created a picture in your mind. Right. So every thought that we have creates some sort of image. Now you stop and you think when God created Adam and Eve, how did he create them? After his image. Right. What happened to that image? It's been marred. It's been corrupted by that corrupted wisdom. So then what we've inherited from Adam is what? <laughs> A corrupted image. Everybody says, you know, we're all we're all made in the likeness of God. No, we're made in the likeness of Adam. Adam was made in the likeness of God. There's a difference there. We've we've inherited his corrupted thought process and all that. Yeah. And so then you think about that stuff and he says what? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Well, you can take that and go back over to Romans chapter 1. And what did people do with the knowledge of God? It says, we don't want you. We're going to create our own religion. And we're going to follow that religion and not you. And I'm going, to, I'm going to glorify the creature more than the creator. And what we do is we end up creating a, 
religious system where effectively we've made ourselves God because I'm going to answer to myself. And that's the culture that we live in today is it doesn't affect you. It shouldn't, you shouldn't say anything to me. I am my own, you know, all that stuff. I'm the issue. It's a very me-centered group of people, culture that we have. That's why. And then thirdly, he says, and bring it into captivity every thought. And stop and think about this. If your thoughts create images, how do you get rid of images? Is you get rid of the thought. So what happens to the thought is he says, every thought, bring, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Thought pops up. What do we do? Is that a verse? Yes. Let's move on. Does that thought not have anything to do with the verse? Get rid of it. And of course, like I said, it's easy to say, much harder to do. And that's the point. <laughs> exactly. No. And that's that issue of putting off and put on. Yeah. And, and that's that issue of the putting off and putting on. I don't want that, but I need to put something in its place. And if I put something else that, that, that goes after the flesh, all I've done is I've created more problem. It's the idea, you know, I think about this a lot. <clears throat> you know, if you, if you go and buy a car, and of course, I don't think many people can buy cars these days. We'll take it out 20 years. It's all right. Um, if you go and purchase a car and say you get a, a five-year loan on it, after two years, you're like, you know what? I don't like this car anymore. I'm going to go trade it in for another one. We trade it in for another one. So we get a loan to pay off the excess loan from the first one plus a loan to buy the new one. And so what we're doing is we're paying for two vehicles, but we only get one of them. Then after two years, you go and trade that one in. Now you're paying for three vehicles. That's the idea of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm going to get rid of this thing in the flesh, but I'm going to go and do this other thing in the flesh. Really, you're doing both at the same time, but you're trying to convince yourself that you're no longer doing the first one. It's that same idea. You know, when Paul says in Romans chapter 2 about, um, well, when your mind goes blank, it goes blank. <clears throat> Romans chapter 2. He says in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, he says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up wrath unto thyself, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. When we don't get rid of sin, what do we do? We keep adding on and we're just treasuring up. And it's an accumulation thing. And it just keeps adding on and on and on and on. And what happens is an unsaved person one day, what have they done? They've just treasured up to themselves more wrath. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah. And that that's... Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's why when we talk about the body is crucified the moment we're saved, it's cut off, right? 
So our goal is to know some stuff and then believe some stuff and have it operate here even though this thing's dead. But when you're talking about, and that's why I've said when we talked about before about the judgment seat of Christ is something to look forward to, not to be something to be feared because when we go, this and all the stuff that goes with it is gone. Is there. And you're going to have, you're going to have wood, hay, and stubble coming from you trying to do things. But you're also here, you're going to have what? Gold, silver, precious stones coming from here, which comes from what? The Word of God. So are we, and it's interesting because he says, take heed how you build there upon the foundation. How are you building? With that or with that. Both of those are going to be there. That's who you are. That's your inside. You're saved. Yeah. 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 There's no stuff. And then so what happens at the rapture, this goes away. This is replaced. It's changed with the glorified body. And then what's left is this stuff and this stuff. We go to the judgment seat of Christ. That burns away. All we're left with is the good stuff that we've stored up. If we've not stored up anything. Well, what's going to happen? And that's, that's that other point. It is. But here's the thing. This is why we've talked about before when we've added those two other things. The second one was what? There is a job that you're going to be qualified for. If you don't have any of that in there, you're still going to qualify for a job in, a, in the governmental position of the ranks and authority to glorify God for the rest of eternity. But you're going to, you don't have anything to work with at that particular time. So how that works and all that stuff is going to be really interesting. But the issue is, if you have that stuff in there, you're going to be qualified for another position. Not that one's better than the other or lower than the other, but the idea is, if you don't have anything stored up, there's a job that you're going to be performing, and you're going to, it's going to match you perfectly. As we said before, like I helped my dad build houses, but I can't build one myself because I don't have those skills. I can go build one, but it's going to fall down. But if you have somebody that's a skilled craftsman, they build a house, what's going to happen? It's going to stand because they are doing the thing that they are best at. And what's going to happen is one of these days, their new glorified body, there is a job that we're going to be absolutely 100% qualified to perform and we'll perform that for eternity. No. Is going to be perfect for you. Some would go in and some do. But here's the thing: what does grace teach you? It doesn't teach you to be lazy. What grace does, and this is this is why a lot of churches mess up. 
This is why a lot of people mess up with grace is grace. Grace puts you on the spot and says, this is something you don't need to do. And grace says, here's how to deal with it. Where religion says, okay, well, you know, blah, 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 whatever, but it's enough that you're saved. But what happens is, and it's not, it's not to promote laziness. What it should promote is if you actually know what grace is about and what great, what God's glory is all about, you will do everything that you possibly can now to learn about that glory and his grace and his mercy because it's his glory, not ours. But one day he's going to put his glory on display in us. Whether we know nothing or a lot. And that's why I say the knowing a bunch of stuff isn't the issue. It's what are we doing with it now to glorify him now. And that's, that's, why, that's why on the Sunday morning when we're talking about grace motivation, that's the motivation. Grace motivates you to perform or to allow God's word to perform in you. But there's many people out there that don't see it the way they want to. No, they don't. It's the opposite, which is not good. They don't because they've, they they've do been in a, yeah. Yeah, and I've had people say that to me too. And, and I'm like, that's fine. But, you know, when, when Paul says it's God's will that all men be saved, it's not a period there. It's he wants you to come into the knowledge of the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I've got liberty. I'm free. That's all I need. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. Same thing that we see. Yeah. Yeah. So until they decide that they're going to do something about it through the word, that's going to be who they are. That's who they're going to be. And again, if you don't have anything stored up here, you can't store it up here at all. And it won't show up there. And you can have it stored here and not have it stored there. Or you could have it stored here and it not do that. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You can pile up knowledge. I know a bunch of people that pile up knowledge but don't believe anything. Yeah. And that's where it really, that's where it really counts, if you put it that way. Um, because, like I said, you can you can know a bunch of stuff, but you can also know a bunch of stuff through the world too. Pretty much. Well, no, it is. And here it's by reason of use. That's where it shows up there. So you look at that. It changes you, absolutely. And and then you get to say, you know what? I woke up this morning. I have another day to change the way I think and get in the book and find out what you need to change. And then you say, you know, that's that. 
I, what I would like us to be able to do is not be like, man, I can't wait for the rapture to happen. I would rather us be like, man, I hope it takes my entire lifetime for it to happen so that we can actually do some stuff, you know, completely change your thought process of it's not just an escape. It's a, that's something that I'm looking forward to, but if it doesn't happen, I'm going to go and continue getting in this book and find out more about what I am and go put that on display to glorify him now. And when life gets hard, that's the yes. first thing we think of. <laughs> yeah. Somebody changed my thinking as they, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It was Russell Cooper mm-hmm. and what he said. Yeah. He's pastor in Detroit. He's like, what, what, what did he say? Um, redeeming the time. Yeah. Like my whole mentality was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remain there. Yeah. I don't remain in that moment. I mean, and, and we all do. So we all. Oh, wait. You mean it's not just me that's feeling it? Oh, no. Wow. There, there's times we all, we all at some point. We do. We do. Yeah. Until it was to my and we all have that. And that's that's the kind of that's kind of the point. And that's why I want us to be able to talk about these things, because that that's why I said what we're doing now is important because. We're getting ready to do some stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's that old that's that old uh, yeah and I think that's that old you know you go to a Baptist church and they were like boy he hit old Aunt Susie right between the eyes didn't he was like no he got you too trust me you know he it was a buckshot it got them all you just didn't think about yours and sometimes we don't we don't think about those things yeah and that's that's one of those times where it's we have to engage ourselves in the scripture and judge and find out are we doing what we you know what we need to be doing yeah yeah And that's why that's why when we talk about grace motivation in the next session, that's why that stuff's going to be important. We'll get to that too. So. But would it be fair to say that even learning that and now you apply it way more than you used to? You still have moments, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm glad God understands us. Oh yeah. He shows He shows more grace and mercy than we even imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 